0: Welcome to MichaelCast episode 389. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric.
1: And I'm Micah.
0: Sorry I missed everybody last week, but it was nice that Lottie was on. She did a great job kind of filling in. It's nice to be back. It's good to have you back. Oh, shucks. Gosh, I was at a wedding and I was enjoying it until we're at the bar the next day. And one of the people on the wedding party goes, You know what I could never really get into? Harry Potter. I threw my hands up in the air, and I walked out, and I headed home. It's was like, who
1: says Did that? Did you make them pay for your drink?
0: Uh, no, because I threw my drink in her face. Ooh. <laughs> this story
2: gets better every time you tell it.
0: <laughs> that was this intentional, though? I just,
1: what? Did she know that you were sitting there? Did she know who you were? No. Oh. No.
0: I was undercover. I was just so shocked.
2: Who says that? I
0: know. Re- seriously, who says that? I, I really think I've never heard that before. You
1: should have looked but, at it as an opportunity, though, Andrew. You should have said, well, no. let me try and change your mind a little bit.
0: <laughs> I, uh, I didn't want to get anywhere near that. I, know. <laughs> I was off from talking about Harry Potter that weekend, <laughs> which never <laughs> happens anymore. <laughs> anyway, so we are going to do chapter by chapter this week. But first, some news. Lots of little things to talk about this week. I know you guys were thinking about mentioning the, mentioning this last week, but you didn't. Harry Potter History of Magic is now open at the New York Historical Society and Museum. This was the exhibit that was open over in London, and now it's in the U.S. Micah, have you tried to go yet? I have not, but
1: uh, I will plan to go at some point in the next couple of weeks. Uh, tickets are... Pretty cheap, actually. They're $21 for adults, and then there's different price ranges depending on where you uh, fall in the uh, different categories. It, I know we have a lot of students, college students that listen to us. Uh, it's only 13 bucks. Same for high school. Uh, so it, it's definitely worth the money. Uh, and yeah. uh, I know that there's a companion book that goes along with it. We actually reviewed that Book from the uh, British version uh, a while back. I have to check what episode number that was, but yeah, it's definitely worth it for for any Harry Potter fan that's in the New York area or lives here, just to go and and have something to do. Uh, you know, for a couple <laughs> of hours one afternoon. Uh, there's still
0: plenty of spots that are open, but I suspect as Word gets out about this, they'll fill up very, very quickly. Plus, maybe you're looking for something to do while you're seeing Chris Child or Puffs, if you need something else to do in the New York area. As you would imagine, a lot of the
1: weekend slots are filled up or filling up very quickly, but the uh, times that are available during the week are still uh, pretty open.
2: You know what fellas it was a, almost a year ago exactly October 23rd 2017 episode 342 when we uh, went through that book History of Magic oh, there you ex- go. exhibit there you go um, and I know there are new artifacts in there now
0: yes. surrounding the US release of the Harry Potter series including a letter from Arthur Levine the editor of Scholastic to J.K. Rowling I, I I'm looking at it now December 19th 1997 And he asks if they can change the title. Uh, (laughs) So it's all his fault. Yeah, but listen to this. This is kind of like, it's it's low-key offensive. He says, I like the sound of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, but those who have heard it so far have found themselves misled into thinking this will have an obscure philosophical overtone. Chalk it up to idiot Americans, but I think we'd be better off here with a title that was a bit more playful and easier to design. I agree. It's not wrong. I mean, we wouldn't know what Philosopher's Stone meant. But then in the next paragraph, and I feel like we've known about we've heard about this before, he says to Joe, What do you think of Harry Potter and the School of Magic as the title? Mm. <laughs> not sure that one would have sold as well. It's kind of basic, isn't it?
2: Funnily enough, in different languages, that's exactly what it translates to. Like, I'm pretty sure as close to Europe as in, you know, in Europe, and I'm pretty sure the French name is uh, people, people in our, you know, patrons and things who are familiar with the international books can say, but some of the translated versions are literally Harry Potter and the School of Magic. So the fact that they settled on Sorcerer's Stone and it's got that alliterative sort of ring to it is kind of lucky for us. That's a uh, multi-billion dollar decision that he made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do agree, though. I, I think in the U.S., philosopher means something different. You know, it's, it's not th- this, this old idea of a philosopher's stone of um, alchemy. Like, who knows what an alchemist is? I certainly didn't when I was 11. Um, right. And so yeah. there's, there's just not the same connotations. I don't know. It was a good call. I wish all the titles were similar, but. It was a good call, and it never happened again. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) So cool little things like that are on display at this exhibit. And that's why I want to go. I want to see all those pieces of history. For sure. And I know that
1: there's a audio accompaniment that's narrated by Natalie Dormer. And most listeners of the show who are also Game of Thrones fans will know her as Marjorie Tyrell on Game of Thrones. So Mm -hmm. if people want to pick that up, they can obviously do that or they can just walk around and check things out for themselves.
2: Let me use my Audible credit for uh, for that book. I'm actually hearing really good things about that audiobook. Apparently, it contains interviews like with these people themselves. So, like, you'll hear Arthur Levine actually speak about this decision that oh, we just talked cool. about and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm hearing really good things. Oh, uh,
0: glad you mentioned Audible. They're actually going to be one of our sponsors next week. Oh, I that's lucky. Yeah. So, everybody, hold off on buying it until we get that sponsor going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Also out now is Beetle the Bard, the illustrated edition. So we're not getting one of the Harry Potter books this year. This is the first year. We're not getting one since they started. They were on this yearly cycle. But the illustrator needs extra time to do Goblet of Fire because it's so long. So this year we're getting Beetle the Bard. This is by a different illustrator. And uh, have you guys picked this up yet?
2: No.
1: I have not. I've been meaning to. I can't remember if I pre-ordered it.
0: If it, if I had, it probably would have been here already. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, you need to get on that then. <laughs> um so obviously it's like it's I heard it's thin. It's big and thin. And because, you know, there's it's not a very big book and I've previously said that I do not like Beetle the Bard. <laughs> but because I'm a completionist, I have to buy this. To join the rest of the illustrated edition books, you and the Potter collector, yes, right?
2: No, need it. Isn't Beetle the Bard already illustrated though? Yeah, yeah. by J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling herself, yeah, drew the. But it's not, you know, it's not in the style of the the new, like the new illustrated versions. And by that, I mean, I mean, it's still not the same illustrators did those as you just said, Andrew. But um, you know, where every sort of point in the story is narrated. I think J.K. Rowling kind of did the key moments. She also hand wrote the original copies of Beetle the Bard. So I don't blame her for not doing more than, I don't know, 15 illustrations. Right. My impression of this one, at least from the previews that we saw, were that it was, you know, sort of fully illustrated every moment from each of the stories. Right. I also heard the text is really big on the page. (laughs) <laughs> well, that helps that definitely helps i'm i like the art style when when they release the previews of some of these images i will be getting this book i just haven't yet yeah all
0: right so that's available now and speaking of merchandise the harry potter fandom was very excited a few days ago because funko who makes all those adorable pop vinyls they have announced the harry potter advent calendar and this is going to be on sale in about a month from now um for the holidays it yeah, yeah, of course. It has twenty four mini pop vinyl figurines in it, and when you open up this advent calendar, it a a uh, a snowy Hagrid's hut pops out, oh. and then the idea is you open up each advent calendar door and you place each character into the Hagrid's hut scene. It looks so cute, and I of course ordered it immediately. and it kind of, I know the Hypable link went a little viral. It's already out of stock on Amazon, so it might be hard to get. It is still available at some other retailers for pre-order, but, man, this thing looks awesome. I just love quirky little things like that. So
1: it doesn't come with a set of Funkos. You have to purchase them separately?
0: No, it comes with them behind each door. Okay, yeah, that's what
1: I thought. I was confused because normally Advent calendars, you open up the door, and you get chocolate or prizes or other
0: things like right. that. Right. These are little figurines like Hagrid, Harry,
2: Dumbledore, Dobby, Hedwig, Hermione. It's kind There's of a 24. Neat. It's a neat concept, but I do know, I'm already at, I'm already at the point where I don't need any more Funko's, so I don't need 24 new Funko's.
0: <laughs> I know it's a lot. Like what do you two after Christmas? Uh,
1: yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs>
3: <sighs>
0: it's just too cute to pass up so it's not
1: a bad price either 60 bucks given how much those Funkos sometimes cost individually
0: yeah twelve right. fifty, yeah keep in mind these are super small versions but yeah on to some fantastic beasts crimes of grindelwald news looks like we have the runtime and i'll explain why in a second but i want you guys to guess what is the runtime of fantastic beasts crimes of grindelwald and for context i'll tell you the runtime of the first movie was a hundred or sorry, two
2: hours and thirteen minutes. Okay. I'll go with two hours and
1: four minutes.
2: I'm gonna go two hours twenty six minutes. <laughs> so according to
0: AMC, it is two hours and twelve minutes. So basically the same exact runtime as
2: the wow. first movie. <laughs> huh. <laughs> yeah at least they didn't pull an order the phoenix and it's like an hour and a half (laughs) yeah yeah
0: which i think is good i personally like being out in and out of a movie theater in like 90 minutes
2: (laughs) yeah but there's so much in this movie right for all that they're trying to do with this film we always we hear about how jam-packed with subplots this is i'm very surprised that it's I'm glad it's not shorter, I'll just say that, but the fact that it's exactly the same runtime still feels like maybe they'll be there'll be jam-packed. Right, because it feels like there's more happening in this second movie,
0: doesn't, doesn't it? Yeah. It doesn't feel that way. <clears throat> so why do we know that? Well, tickets for the movie are slowly but surely coming on sale. We wanted to let our listeners know about the this event at imax amc theaters called the fantastic fandom event you get to see the movie on tuesday november 13th in imax theaters and this is my favorite part no trailers <laughs> 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 um, so if you want to see the movie like pretty damn early you should go to amc theaters.com and see if a local amc near you is doing this event Eric and I bought tickets to one here in Chicago. Mike, are you trying to go to one of these early ones?
1: Yeah, definitely going to try and get to one uh, here in New York. There's a couple of theaters in the city, so definitely going to uh,
0: get tickets for that. I feel like WB is confident in the quality of the movie for Harry Potter fans if they're letting people see it a couple days early. Because... They probably are doing these events so that people will go and tweet their reactions in the days leading up to the film's worldwide release. And if they know the movie's good, then they know the reaction will be positive. So hopefully that's a good sign.
1: It's definitely creating a lot of opportunity, though, for spoilers to leak out several days in advance.
2: Yeah, that's true.
0: And I know the the reason that we want to see it early is because we want to get our review episode together.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was a great opportunity for us <laughs> to have it all ready for Friday morning or whatever and do you the- guys remember last year we did a spoiler free episode and a
0: spoiler episode two years ago? Wow I, should we do that again?
1: Let's take a poll
0: oh
2: yeah that's a good that's a good call.
1: I feel like though once the movie is out, the movie's out, so true it's it's kind of different with the book i let's let's let the uh listeners decide on that one. Uh there's also yeah. three premieres to look
0: forward to, right? Yeah, uh London, Paris, and New York, I guess. Maybe I'll sneak into that one.
2: Man, New York is like <laughs> the second Mecca for Harry Potter now. I mean, for so, to some extent it always has been, but with Puffs, the actual cursed child play, this HP exhibit, the new premiere of the film, which yeah, it's just there's going to be a lot to do in New York. The setting for the first film. Yeah. So,
0: some new photos have also been released, courtesy of Entertainment Weekly. There wasn't... I mean, EW is like 10 intriguing new <laughs> photos. There's like two that are actually kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, for me, the photo I found interesting was this one of Lita back at Hogwarts, opening up an old desk, and in it, she's touching a inscribed... L plus N, Lita plus Newt, on the underside of the desk. So my question is, what is Lita doing back at Hogwarts? When does this occur in the film? Yeah, because I thought like it was mostly flashbacks. Yeah. Kind of surprising. But I'm certainly not complaining about more time at Hogwarts. No, no, that'll be true. Wasn't there,
1: from very early on, one of the trailers that showed Dumbledore being confronted by what looked like members of the ministry? So maybe this is when it happens?
0: Yeah, would Lita like be with Theseus? Possibly. But we haven't seen Theseus in any of these clips of Dumbledore being confronted in his classroom, you know? There is a photo also of Dumbledore with something around his wrist. And I actually read a spoiler about that, and I feel like it's kind of spoilery,
2: so I won't say. But Oh, that wristband yeah didn't the again. props designers somebody talk about that wristband recently i think so
0: like with all this merchandise there's just all these little tidbits <laughs> that are coming out about this movie because there's like these companion books and of course these companion books talk about the movie yeah a bit
1: this is in the first photo
0: that comes up is it the first photo yeah dumbledore it's like a full shot of him looking to his left
2: what was the photo that stood out to you eric this uh, one of Grindelwald's, not even necessarily for the photo, it's quite similar to the one that we see, or we see this scene a lot in the trailer where he's proselytizing to like a group of followers. But um, the caption was what was most interesting to me. It says that uh, Gellert Grindelwald, Johnny Depp, holds an audience spellbound in an amphitheater beneath, get this, the Lestrange Mausoleum. Huh. So we've been questioning where this amphitheater sort of thing is underground. I think it's been speculated before that it would be underneath the graveyard that we also see them uh, in at various points across several of the trailers. But for it to be called the Lestrange Mausoleum, uh, you know, there's your connection to Lita right there. Uh, Grindelwald is using either hers or her family's weird (laughs) underground public event space uh to to recruit followers. So yeah. that just that one little detail just like blew my mind and is very titillating. That is yeah, I agree. That is super interesting. Cause is he gonna try to recruit Lena? Uh, he sure. maybe already did. Especially if uh especially if Theseus is uh yeah you know there.
1: And even going back to the first film we know from what Queenie says about the Lestranges, they're very well known for being dark wizards, even in the Americas. So uh, the fact that they would be inside the Lestrange mausoleum is uh, definitely on par with what we know, because if we look back at the fact that all these characters are congregating around a
0: graveyard, the fact that they would be in a mausoleum Mm -hmm. is not that surprising. There have also been a ton of posters released. (laughs) Too many, in my opinion. We're up to like at least 12. But, um, the character posters with pairs, so like Queenie and Jacob, Grindelwald and Credence, Tina and Yusuf, Leta and Theseus, Newt and Dumbledore, they all have a lot of details in the upper halves of their posters, like little references to the characters and potentially what is going on. Actually, speaking of Leta and the Lestrange Mausoleum, there's a little grave in her poster, over her over her shoulder two graves actually and there's the ministry of magic m referencing theseus working at the ministry and then like in the queenie one there's an umbrella in the poster very subtle and like the wand is the umbrella handle just beautiful artwork that you might gloss over i know i glossed over it and meanwhile, Jacob is also holding an umbrella in this poster. <laughs> Somebody like tweeted me or something like, is Jacob related to Hagrid? What's with all these umbrellas? That's it. Jacob
1: is Hagrid's father. <laughs>
0: <Ooh>. <laughs> Can you imagine? That would be a stretch from J.K. Rowling. I would have to put my foot down there. Oh, but she's known about it for 20
2: years. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> Why is Tina with Yusuf, though? Is it just because they're both on the hunt after different people? Or maybe the same person.
2: Oh,
0: well, yeah, I've also read that Yusuf is looking for Credence. Isn't isn't Tina looking for Credence, too? Everyone's yeah. looking for Credence, and then they're looking for Grindelwald. So.
2: Are, are either of the graves in Lita's poster Percival Graves, played by Colin
3: Farrell?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't get it. Like you said, Andrew, too many posters. I agree. When they released the most recent... Uh, trailer we got those eight posters that are individual to their characters and then there's another eight more or another six more with these couples posters is anybody buying these
0: i don't know what they do with them i just feel like it's 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 like to make a splash online like to make people pay attention to the movie for a day
2: yeah at this point it's sort of just got to be social media stuff like you probably can't even buy these in like I mean, I remember going to Hot Topic in 2001 or 2002 when the Tomb Raider movie came out. And, like, you could buy these three different posters for Lara Croft Tomb Raider. And I did. And they were on my bedroom wall. And, like, (laughs) that was the coolest thing, though. That was, like, really cool because it was, like, this one movie, three posters. The reason I bring this up is nobody's doing that with this one sequel for, you know, the Fantastic – for Crimes of Grindelwald. Nobody's gonna buy if somebody if a Harry Potter fan is gonna buy eight posters, it's gonna be the eight original movie posters and maybe Fantastic right. Beasts. And it and we've seen one of our patrons posted actually their awesome like movie viewing room in the basement kind of refurbished like den. And it was absolutely like it's awesome, but nobody's gonna buy these character posters, especially at this early on in the in the overall arc of the story. What's mm-hmm. the purpose? It's gotta just be for social media. Yeah. I think you're right.
1: Well, those posters will end up plastered all over subway stations in New York City. I mean, ah, uh, uh, yeah. there's no... Uh, I don't know if it's a little too early for that right now, but maybe in like a week or two, you can walk through a subway station in Times Square because there's just so much space and advertising available, and literally all those posters will be plastered over the Walls and and poles and things like that. So, uh, probably depending on what their advertising budget is, I would imagine that they're going to use them uh, in different in different cities. So,
0: I will also say, unlike the Harry Potter posters, these have a lot of details in them, like we were just speaking about. And mm-hmm. I guess that speaks to the fact that this isn't based on a book. So we have more to theorize over. So it is kind of nice that they're adding all these little tidbits into the posters that maybe a month from now we can look back on and be like oh look at this, look at that, that was referencing that. Just like the Crimes of Grindelwald script book cover. There's a lot of details in that as well. So I do like that they're adding all these little details like they aren't taking the lazy route with these that's for sure yeah
2: and it's not all the Deathly Hallows you know it's not all just right. that that's that necklace symbol or whatever so mm-hmm that's cool
0: um, there was also a big interview with Johnny Depp we will be talking about that on patreon this week that's going to be our bonus muggle cast segment at patreon.com slash muggle cast he said a lot and I actually kind of felt good about everything that he said so We'll talk about everything, including the abuse allegations. I, I give VW credit for asking him about that. Yeah.
2: And then we do have our weekly Dancing with the Stars update. Yes, here is the latest. You guys got to check out this video. I'm sure it's on YouTube. But uh, Ivana Lynch and Keo Mutspe, her partner for Dancing with the Stars, performed a waltz to Hedwig's theme. It finally happened. We've reached peak inception. Actually, you know what? Next week we're reaching peak inception. But this week, uh, they scored a twenty-seven, which is nines from all three judges—nine out of possible ten points. It's it's truly amazing if you watch it. It's kind of short. I was expecting, you know, the full Hedwig's theme, which is like five and a half minutes long. Uh, it's kind of more of a ninety-second thing. But but honestly, the 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 reason she scored so high, the reason they scored so high, is because of the various emotions and kind of styles that Ivana is able to embody. You guys both saw this, right? Yeah.
1: I watched it last week uh, and 90 seconds is because it's TV. Come on, Eric. You got to You got (laughs) to cut off right at 90 seconds, move on to the next person. But it it was was super impressive to watch her uh, week in and week out. And um, what I found interesting, just aside from the dance, was the theme was all about Uh, a year that changed her life. So uh, Ivana told a story that I'm sure many of our listeners are aware of. But what I didn't know is that she actually had a correspondence with J.K. Rowling prior to getting the role of of Luna Lovegood. And J.K. Rowling Mm -hmm. wasn't aware of the fact that she ended up getting the role until after the fact. So they showed a bit of the correspondence between the two. The, the actual oh, handwritten wow. letters. So I thought that was pretty cool.
2: Oh, that is cool. It's yeah. very cool. That's mind-blowing. She had, like, at the last minute, they kind of asked her, did you cheat to get your role on TV? And she was like, no, 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 no none of that. It was different. <laughs> um, but it was a story I had never, ever heard of. So going back to what I said about peak inception, next week on Dancing with the Stars, which is actually tonight, once you're listening to this podcast episode, the Monday that this comes out uh, is Triples Week which means they dance with a third partner. So Evie and Keo are dancing with none other than Scarlett Byrne, the actress who plays Pansy Parkinson in the later uh, couple of Harry Potter films. And uh, Scarlett was there in support of Evie a couple of weeks ago, I've seen. Uh, and it looks like they're you know still close. So they are already on, on social media. They're practicing. There's videos and photos of them you know getting in gear. But I don't know what they're dancing to yet, but uh, this is a chance to see – Two Harry Potter actresses on Dancing with the Stars in one fell swoop. Okay. Before we get to chapter by
0: chapter, we are going to listen to a few voicemails. I know you guys encourage people to call in, and they did last week. But first a word from this week's sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging, I know this. It could be a struggle to find the right person to hire at Hypable. But there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash MuggleCast. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you receive the best possible matches. It is so streamlined. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It'll find them. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day, which is fantastic when you're looking for a quick turnaround. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash ziprecruiter.com/mugglecast, MuggleCast. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash MuggleCast, M-U-G-G-L-E-C-A-S-T. Once again, ZipRecruiter.com slash MuggleCast. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. So now let's hire some of our listeners to do the talking. (laughs) (laughs) Here's one from Chanel about Nagini.
4: Hi, MuggleCasters. It's Chanel here. Um, I have some thoughts on episode 386 with all of the Nagini hubbub. When we were first introduced to her, it's in of the Fire Where Voldemort looks like a half snake, half human baby, and he needs Nagini's milk in order to survive. So I was thinking that Nagini kind of would kind of have sort of a motherly love towards him, and that could kind of spur her into being more, more like his servant, but not exactly like one. And I'm not entirely sure how anybody convinced her to kind of be Voldemort's new mom. Um or what that spell was that he did in the cemetery. But it seems like, it seems like would, would isn't so much of a servant because he cares about her more than anybody else, since he entrusted part of his soul to her. But I'm, it kind of upsets me that people are talking about her being a slave to him instead of considering everything that has happened with between Voldemort and Nagini her introduction in Goblet of Fire just wanted to know what you guys think bye
0: I think that's a fair point especially with nursing (laughs) kind of weird word to use but nursing Voldemort back to health being critical there Uh, Nagini just feels a connection to Voldemort and there's some period that we still do not know about the relationship between them we don't know what happened in those years prior to Goblet of Fire so we're just gonna have to wait and see how JK Rowling builds this tortured relationship mm. between Nagini and Voldemort. I will also say, um, Chanel called in <laughs> the next day. <laughs> she had to clarify what she said. Uh I don't think I don't think she needed to do this, but let's listen to this quick.
4: Hi, Mobile Casters, it's Chanel again. I just listened to episode three eighty seven. And I'm mortified about what I said in my last voicemail about Nagini's milk. So, you don't milk snakes. Didn't know that before. Um, but I still think that Nagini still could have some sort of mother-like feeling to him, to Voldemort, because he, he did seem like a half-snake, half-human, maybe however way he managed to do that. So, thank you for letting me correct myself. You guys have
2: a good weekend. Bye. You milk a snake. You just don't milk it like a a cow. Yeah, the fangs, the venom. Um, Regarding the mother connection, I don't know. I think the problem is that we don't know to what extent Nagini's still in there, Uh, like her human side. So can, I mean, I guess snakes probably have a maternal instinctual reaction, but it's way too early to speculate as to whether or not that's what she feels for Mm
1: -hmm. Voldemort. Right. We don't know the story. We may not get to know the story. We better get to know the story. I'd be annoyed. Well, if this series is going to end around 1945, Voldemort and Nagini don't cross paths until, what,
0: 40, 50 years later?
2: Oh, that's a good point. Maybe
0: J.K. Rowling can write something on Pottermore for us. It's been a while, I feel like, since she's written something on there for us. All right, this next voicemail regards is regarding chapter by chapter.
3: Hey, MuggleCast, this is Katie. I'm really enjoying the chapter by chapter of Half-Blood Prince. It's been really fun revisiting it and listening to you guys talk about it. This past week, you were talking about uh, Moody and how he didn't want to teach for another year. And did Ron and Hermione know that Moody was really, you know, um, Barty Crouch Jr. and everything? And I, I just wanted to clarify that Moody had signed up to teach Defense Against the Dark Arts prior to being, you know, kidnapped and imprisoned. But when he took the job on, he said, I'm only going to teach for one year. That was not a result of what happened with being kidnapped. That was the stipulation when he agreed to come on. So just wanted to clarify that. Thanks for doing such a great job. You guys are
1: awesome. Okay. It still doesn't answer why Ron doesn't know that it wasn't Moody who stayed on as Defense Against the Dark Guards and was, in fact, Barty
2: Crouch Jr. And given that Moody did not end up teaching that year, I think our premise still remains the same, that he could have stayed on to teach the next year. I mean, if he signs up for a year, doesn't do the year, spends the year locked away, he could still do, have a year left in him. You know, maybe he wanted to teach mm. for a year. I don't know. All right, couple more here.
5: Hey, MogoCast. This is Molly. Uh, hopefully you remember me from the episode you guys had right before you went and saw Curse Child. Um, if you remember, I had never read Curse Child up until that point because uh, I didn't really want to read it after hearing about the plot. I just wanted to let you know that six months later, I saw the show yesterday and I was completely blown away. I just wanna thank you guys for, you know, giving such a positive review after seeing the show yourselves and kind of giving me some hope that it would be really good. I thought it was amazing. I teared up. The special effects were the best I've ever seen on Broadway. Um, So I just wanna say thank you guys for encouraging me to go see the show because it was amazing and I spent all my money on merchandise. Um, keep up the good work And I can't wait to hear you guys' thoughts After Cremes of Grindelwald Comes out Bye
0: Alright There we go Another Cursed Child fan After seeing it <laughs> This next one Is a warning to everybody About uh, Hogwarts Mystery From our southern friend Who never shares
5: his name <laughs> morning, Well I recently deleted my Facebook Just Need some change I go to open up Hogwarts Mystery Lo and behold, it ruined and deleted my whole daggum account, because I ain't got a Facebook no more. Apparently, you don't have a Facebook. Well, you can play, I reckon. But anyways, it's heads up. If you delete Facebook, it leaves all your crap at Hogwarts Mystery. Learn that the hard way. It really sucks. Yeah, y'all have a good one. Bye.
0: So, this guy, I think he created his Hogwarts Mystery account with his Facebook account. So, his login is tied to Facebook. And that's why you lost it, sir. So if any of you are out there concerned about maybe Facebook, how they handle our data, because there's been all these leaks lately, well, don't delete your Facebook if you connected any of your apps to Facebook. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to get into those apps anymore. That's
2: hugely concerning for me. Not only because my year one uh, progress on Hogwarts Mystery is in danger of being uh, erased completely, but, I mean, I tie all my apps into Facebook. I know. It's just how you log in. It's just super easy. They've got us. They've got us by the neck.
0: So those are our voicemails for now. We'll get to some more next week. Just a couple of quick reminders. If you do call in, keep the voicemails no longer than a minute and make sure we're able to clearly hear you. Sometimes the voicemails are too long. Sometimes we have a hard time hearing you, so we're not able to air them. But we do listen to all of them, and thank you to everybody who calls into our voicemail line, which is 19203muggle. All right,
1: so I guess that means it's time for chapter by chapter. We will be talking about chapter nine this week, Half Blood Prince. So we have. Did you find out what that word was, Eric, that describes the yes. title of the book in the title of the chapter?
2: Yes, eponymous or eponymous? Ep- eponymous eponymous thanks to ryan nolan our good trivia buddy for answering that question for me on uh, oh of course the trivia uh, guy knows it this is the eponymous uh title it is to say half bud prince chapter nine half bud prince uh-huh eponymous that's the google translation wow kind of <laughs> oh, sexy was, oh do that again that was, do a, do was a little creepy
4: eponymous
2: yeah it sounds like a spell
0: <laughs> eponymous
1: sounds like it's coming from a No, well, never mind <laughs> Andrew knows what Eponymous. I'm talking about. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, glad we got that worked out. Yep,
1: yeah. Good job. Good job. So we'll start off uh, this week's chapter, much like uh, all of them so far, and that is with a seven-word summary. And uh looks like I've slated myself to go first, so I will go with potions.
0: Is. Taught. By. uh a- By, uh, potions is taught by a quirky
1: walrus.
0: (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah, you could have made that boring and said man, but you didn't. I didn't. Good job.
1: I went for it. So potions (laughs) is taught by a quirky walrus. That is the, uh, seven word summary for the Half-Blood Prince chapter nine.
0: Excellent. Adding that to Pottermore now. Please. That one's my favorite
2: one yet. All
0: right. One thing I actually did
1: was to go back to Chamber of Secrets and to see if Chapter 9 of Chamber of Secrets was the Chamber of Secrets, but it was not. Uh, Just, you know, we always do connecting the threads. There's a few of them in this chapter as well. We'll get to those. Uh, But just starting off the chapter, uh, Harry is trying to sell, once again, this is the Constant chapter reminder that uh, Harry believes that Draco Malfoy is, in fact, a Death Eater, and he's really trying to push it on Hermione, but he is unable to do so because there are too many eavesdroppers uh, listening to their conversation. Harry is this big celebrity. A lot of people want to listen to what he has to say, and he can't even have a conversation with his friends in the common room.
0: Why not spread the rumor, though? Let the whole school think that Draco's a Death Eater. Probably for the
2: best, so everybody can be monitoring him, right? Yeah.
1: That's not a bad idea.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, maybe we'll see, like, it sort of... Maybe the train scene was supposed to indicate what Slytherins would do if they knew that, because the Slytherins are actively protecting that secret. Mm. At least the few who know it are totally fine with it. So... Or at least the few who seem to know it. So maybe the, the defenses would be even higher... Like if it were three of the houses in the school against Slytherins, that it would be that Draco would have even more protection to do what he needs to do, not from people who want to see Dumbledore dead, but from people who are just, you know, on principle defending their fellow Slytherin. We see a lot of house loyalty in these books.
1: True, That is true. And uh, yeah, the beginning of this chapter is, is kind of a wrap up from the end of the last one, so... We know Ron and Harry were talking about how they weren't going to be taking care of magical creatures with Hagrid and they assumed Hermione wouldn't be as well and that is confirmed in in the early part of the chapter and it kind of raised a question in my mind as to is Hagrid even qualified to teach a newt level course? <laughs> I mean I don't I don't want to, you know, rag on Hagrid but too late. Yeah. yeah uh, what do you what do you think? I mean, I don't I don't think he's qualified to teach regular courses, much less a newt level course.
0: Yeah, I think that they have no other options when it comes to Hagrid. Um, so the, the he's the best that they've got. So just let him do his thing. But it also speaks to just how loosey goosey Dumbledore runs the school. This is something he doesn't care about. <laughs> yeah,
1: he needs to run a tighter ship.
0: Yes, there's millions of examples of this that we keep bringing up, but that's just kind of the charm of Hagrid and his care of magical creatures class. It's not that good. It's never been that good, and uh, it would be no different with new level courses, but everybody would come to expect that anyway.
2: I guess the only difference between each year of Hagrid's classes are the, the difficulty level of the beasts, right? So maybe it will just be that there's just even harder beasts this year if they were in that class. I mean, Hagrid, even though he's not that great a teacher, or I understand where you're coming from, you know, could he teach newt level classes? He could hold his own against pretty much any beast. Like, wouldn't you believe that he would do the research? Like, for a three-headed dog to be kept at bay by this guy, sure, he's half giant, but he knows exactly how to calm that beast and... Maybe that's what Care of Magical Creatures as a subject really is, is the caring for (laughs) these crazy, dangerous sort of creatures. So maybe they would just, I don't know, maybe there's a paddock somewhere of dragons again in the forest or something that, you know, would be more suited to a new level course. Hagrid does know his stuff, as Eric's pointing out. But I'm
0: also trying to think right now, like, does anybody really pursue Care of Magical Creatures outside of Hogwarts? You know what I mean? Like, does anybody go on to, that we know of, to take a position in this type of field? I don't think so. Well, so maybe Dumbledore also kind of kind of sees it as like, well, do we really need somebody seriously
2: teaching this class? Yeah. nobody's <laughs> In a pursuing highly to professional be, manner. Nobody's trying to be a magic zoologist, just like Newt Scamander. Right. Mean, I Newt, think... Newt wrote that book,
0: and they were like, well, we don't need anybody else to work in this field. <laughs> Newt's got it all done. <laughs>
1: Charlie. Got maybe. it wrapped
2: up. Charlie, good point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's but, um, one
1: character out of how many?
2: Yeah. Well Luna Luna marries Rolf's commander, who's like Newt's grandson, um, and becomes herself a wizarding naturalist. That's the word they throw around. I don't know what that is in relation to Maggi Zoology. It's like separate but related fields, I wanna say. But even she's not talking about her Hagrid lessons this year. Nobody's talking mm-hmm. about Hagrid's Newt level class. So I just don't think we have that student that's taking that class.
1: Right. And the next point kind of ties into the overall conversation about just how things are structured at Hogwarts, because we get to the point where McGonagall is sitting down in the Great Hall with Harry and Ron and Hermione and and Neville, amongst others, and going through all the different grades that they receive for their owls and whether or not they will be qualified to take these newt level courses. And we get to the point where she's talking with Harry and potions comes up. And previously, Harry wouldn't have been able to take potions at the newt level because of the grade that Snape accepted. But we learn that Slughorn accepts one level below that and Harry will still have his opportunity to pursue becoming an orer But I wondered, is there some standard that should be in place here for newt-level courses, as opposed to it just being at the teacher's
0: discretion? <sighs> well, I don't necessarily agree, because I think the teacher ultimately knows what's best for their students. They're the ones who work within these classes, within these subjects year-round whereas like standardizing what owls you would need for new level courses wouldn't be a very um it would just be too broad of a brush to be painting so i just i just think teachers do what they believe is best for their students in the case of slughorn i can see why he's easier on which owls he accepts i mean clearly he's not as big of a hard ass as snape is And Slughorn likes meeting new people. He likes surrounding himself with as many people as possible, I think. (laughs) And maybe, just maybe, he knew what Harry's owls were for potions, and perhaps he lowered the bar just for him. That's a little crackpot and maybe a bit of a stretch, but I don't think we could put that past Slughorn. Uh, Maybe, but I think
1: Slughorn's standard probably was in place from when he previously taught there.
2: Very possible. Maybe. Maybe. It, it might also be that Newt level is the level where the curriculum is sort of um, specific from the government. Like the Newt level courses are the hardest ones. So the teachers can choose what, what barrier for entry they're willing to place on it from the OWL level because they know what their own teaching strengths are to get students up to this. I'm trying to think back in high school, when there were AP classes, that curriculum was mandated by the, whoever runs, you know, AP in the education system in the country, the advanced placement system. That was all, like, our teachers barely got to choose what um, they taught, because that was the advanced placement curriculum. So I'm thinking Newt might work The same way. I never took any AP classes, but I recall, you know, sort of hearing about how that the books that they're assigned and all that is strictly mandated. So maybe the difference between OWL and Newt level is that the teachers are getting people up to what is the government standard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's definitely
1: possible. And I think it's also just the discretion of the teacher kind of going back to what you said, Andrew, where they know the student and it may just be the case that the student is going to have to work that much harder to achieve the new level. If maybe they're coming in with a grade that isn't exactly where the teacher would want it to be. Um, Right. One cool moment though, from all of this was when McGonagall was going through the owls with Neville and Neville was really downtrodden and and wanted badly to take transfiguration. And there was, there was, back and forth between the two of them, and uh, she not only praised him for what he did in the ministry, but uh, said that his grandmother should be a little bit prouder of him, and that uh, if she has an issue with him going to new level charms, uh, Minerva would be more than happy to remind Augusta how poorly she did. So first of all, I mean, I would have think McGonagall and Augusta would have been at Hogwarts around the same time. Um, the fact that she knows how she did, unless they were like best buds, um, it seems like McGonagall
0: may have even taught her. So, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I was, what do you guys think about that? Well, I thought it was a really nice moment for Neville. Like he never really gets any praise heaped on him. So it was a, it was a feel good moment to read, but I was also just wondering, like, does maybe Minerva just remembers the grades of every single one of her students. That seems like a very old witch professor type of thing to do. Sort of like Dumbledore has this giant brain. I think Minerva and maybe these other professors um, have these giant brains as well that seems to remember every damn thing. Because it's kind of shocking that she would know, seemingly off the cuff, how Augusta did in charms.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I wonder what the story is there. But I agree. It definitely comes across as though McGonagall taught... Augusta, or was a teacher with access to that information while Augusta was taking those classes?
0: Yeah.
1: And free periods are going to be a thing in this uh, book, which we haven't seen before, but I think we can all remember when we were going to school how much fun it was to have a free period just to do pretty much whatever (laughs) you wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I had one. I still remember sitting. It was like in the auditorium. But I was just kind of bored, like, because I didn't study. Of course, I wasn't Hermione. I guess I was more like Ron. But yeah, like, I guess they were kind of fun. Hmm. It does seem a little silly to have free periods in Hogwarts, though. There's just so much to do. So many cool things to do.
2: Yeah, well, as Hermione points out, it's a lot of opportunity for actual study, like free periods, also known as study halls. Um, they do have a higher quality of, of homework, like a higher, a larger sort of amount that they're expected to turn in. So I think Ron is a little That's optimistic true. about how much free time they'll actually have. But yeah. I don't know. I am I forgot that this was such a big deal in this book. So moving forward, just going to, yeah, f- moving forward, just going to kind of focus on where how they're spending their free time.
0: Especially after these earlier books with so much, so many classes, I mean, They were also busy, of course, Hermione especially, and now it's like, okay, we've got less going on.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure Harry uses most of his free periods to spy on Malfoy. Mm. That's productive. That's a productive use. Yeah.
1: Well, the sixth year starts off with Defense Against the Dark Arts, and uh, Snape is once again the focal point of this chapter, at least in, in my opinion. Uh, So we have now several chapters that uh, have really kind of honed in on, on Snape. And I wondered, are there any clues that we should have picked up on in this chapter as to him being the Half-Blood Prince?
0: Uh, Other than, well, I mean, he is prominent in this chapter and this chapter is called the Half-Blood Prince. So other than that, no, I don't think so.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to think of the cramped handwriting was ever has ever been like whether or not Snape's handwriting has ever been described that way before, um, like maybe in Book Five when Snape sends Harry a letter. But who the hell remembers that? Like yeah. honestly, like yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think you can know. It's again one of these chapters fully devoted to Snape, like you said, Micah. But it's done so well. It's done so like off the because we meet a character called the a prince in this chapter who we don't know who it is kind of makes you think that that's why the chapter is called that. It doesn't draw attention to Snape, even though he is a huge part of this chapter.
0: Mm-hmm. And then speaking of this classroom, he he has redecorated it, <laughs> remodeled it might be the best yeah. word. And he's got these messed up posters of these wizards being tortured, I believe, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty disturbing, especially when you remember these students are 15, 16 years old. Like, I get what I I can actually defend Snape here. Like, he's trying to bring the point across that there are some very evil people out there who can do terrible things. And there there are things you need to protect yourself against. However, it might be too much on day one of the class. (laughs) Maybe wait. A few weeks or months before showing people just how terrible it is. He sort
2: of wastes no time because he knows how inconsistent their education has been so far. And he says as That's much true. in his speech. The speech bothers me way less than those posters and photos, though, of the the people being tortured.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Definitely. it's It's... A stark contrast from if we were going to do some sort of connecting the threads to the way Lockhart set up the uh, Defense Against the Dark Arts classroom.
2: Talking about himself.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and all the different uh, portraits of himself that were hanging up. So there's one quote, though, that I pulled that Snape uh, has in sort of his... Uh, discussion with uh, the the class, and it's about the dark arts. And he says that the dark arts are many, varied, ever changing, and eternal. Fighting them is like fighting a many-headed monster, which each time a neck is severed sprouts a head even fiercer and cleverer than before. You are fighting that which is unfixed, mutating, indestructible. And I thought a little bit of Voldemort and his Horcruxes when. This quote was being given, but I know Eric, you found something different.
2: Yeah, it's very evocative language. It reminds me of the scene in the Disney animated movie Hercules when Hercules is battling the Hydra. But this is actually a real, you know, Greek myth that the cartoon is based off of. The Hydra is that creature which has multiple serpentine heads as a many-headed monster. And in the Greek myth, at least more recently than I looked this up, 483 BC, since 483 BC, that creature has been described as having heads that when you cut one off, two or more grow back in its place. So J.K. Rowling is essentially right here making a uh, 2,500-year-old literary reference, which is pretty badass. Not to mention it, it's just – it's a scary thought. That, like, you try and kill a cre- this evil thing, but then it grows back stronger than before. It's very cautious. Like, I think it succeeds in selling what Snape is trying to sell here.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great,
0: great reference point that you uh, bring up. I-, I like your point, Micah, about it referencing referring to the horror cruxes. But when I was reading this just the other day, to me, it just makes sense generally about defense against the dark arts. These people are, if there's a will, there's a way. If they're looking to kill, they're going to kill and
2: they're going to evolve until it gets done.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's how I read it. Yeah. Uh, for me, it really also takes it back to the ministry scene between Dumbledore and Voldemort when they're fighting and you're seeing the very sort of elemental magic. Um, you know, those, the, and I think most of that is nonverbal, if not all of it. Um, you know, you're just seeing. Voldemort throw things at Dumbledore and Dumbledore throw things back or counter uh, fire with an ice wall. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that that really speak to cuz they're the only grown-ups at this point we've seen do magic. Yeah. Snape's speech here kind of reminds me of seeing them at the ministry. Right.
1: And the focal point of the lesson that Snape is teaching would come in extremely handy, I think, uh, in a situation much like the Ministry, because uh, to your point, a lot of what was being thrown back between Voldemort and Dumbledore was nonverbal in nature. And that's exactly what uh, Snape starts off with. And no surprise that he continues to antagonize Harry. Uh, and he's walking around the classroom looking at the different pairings of of students who are trying to cast nonverbal spells on each other and counter them and he comes across harry and ron and of course ron is not up to snuff so he kicks him aside and uh goes straight at it with harry and harry you know having those nightmares of uh lessons immediately throws up a protective spell. Snape gets knocked on his ass, and uh, there's a few wrong words exchanged between the two of them, and Harry ends up with detention.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, first of all, I was kind of surprised. I I, I wish we got more info on how nonverbal spells are conducted. Like, it would have been nice to actually hear that as a reader, especially... Well, of course, J.K. Rowling wasn't planning this at the time, but, like, especially with Fantastic Beasts the film series, we see a lot of nonverbal spells. So it'd be interesting to read about how those are conducted, because I think we've been wondering how that happens, especially now that we're seeing so much of it. But um, yeah, I, you know, Snape clearly has a grudge here that he really needed to take out on Harry. And how did you guys feel about how Harry conducted himself? Like, I kind of found it justified. It's it's It was rough seeing him talk to a teacher like that, but I think he needed to, to... to defend himself in the scene.
2: Yeah. It's such a shitty thing for Snape to and and bless Harry, he's quick for the free, like he has that instinct that Snape is about to round on him and when he's when he turns from insulting Ron to be like you need to do it this way like this and then he quick, you know, kind of tur- the way it's written is really really smart. Harry is justified and the fact that Snape like you rarely see a teacher caught off balance like this. And you, when he hits that desk, you love it because, I mean, he also insults Hermione again. He asks what the benefits of nonverbal spells are, and he um, waits for anyone else's hand to go up, then calls on Hermione, and then criticizes her answer for being lifted almost straight out of the textbook. Like, <laughs> come on, she she had the right answer. He's picking on everybody, and this is the very, very, like, w- probably one of the few times that somebody that he gets what it what is owed to him and so it's short and sweet i just hate that it gives harry detention
0: not to mention they're in defense against the dark <laughs> arts
2: class he should defend
0: himself he should receive points for how quickly and successfully he pulled that off by the way i kind of agree with how snape responded to hermione reading the answer word for word from the book because it kind of is like you know Think for yourself. In your own words, describe what is going on. We also we always heard about that a lot in class. In your own words, Mm -hmm. explain something. Right. Don't just
1: be copying the textbook, regurgitating. Don't plagiarize. I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and I just think though, what would have been the outcome if Snape had cast the spell? then you mm-hmm. essentially have a, a situation where a professor is attacking a student and i don't think that looks too good.
2: Mhm. Right? I think we got to give snape the benefit of the doubt. He would have chosen a spell that seemed more harmless than it was. You know, something in something insidious where harry doesn't like the feeling of like if it were imperious. It wouldn't be imperious because that's legal, you know, whatever, but it would be something that kind of harmed Harry more made internally fun of
1: than I, in some capacity, get Draco and crew laughing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you think that it was a fair comparison though, after the class, uh, when they're, uh, you know, in the hallway and, and kind of chatting about Hermione says that Snape didn't sound all that different talking about the dark arts than Harry did when they were in Dumbledore's army.
2: No, I I think this is, this is one of two things that are like shoehorned into this chapter uh, connections just for the sake of connections. And I think that it's meant to get us thinking, but this is the my least favorite of the two. The other one's when Ginny talks about the book, which is later, but Hermione saying this, it doesn't really add up because Harry, in the scene in the in Dumbledore's army, when he's training everybody and it's like, listen, this sort of sucks. You have to be there. Your wits about you is not the same as saying um, the dark arts are this amazing, wonderful, ec- always changing you know, kind of. Th- I I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't quite add up for me because Snape's love for the dark arts colors our perception of what it is he's actually saying. Fair point.
1: So we head over to potions class with Professor Slughorn, and um, the big kind of moment of the chapter is Harry getting a very mysterious book, advanced potion making, with <laughs> writing okay. all over it, and what? he uses this book throughout the remainder of the chapter to create a drought of living de- a draft. What is it? Drought, draft, drought, I
2: drought. Think both are accurate. <laughs>
1: okay. Harry has gone from being the favorite of um, defense against the dark arts to now being presumably the favorite of potions. And this plays very, very well into the hands of Dumbledore uh, for having Harry achieve ultimately what he wants him to do and that is get a memory from slughorn but this is this is a great first step right i mean what are the chances what's the, you know how lucky is it that harry comes across this book that's going to make him a super potions wizard and uh, be able to really uh, show off his stuff to slughorn throughout the course of his sixth year i mean it's it was it's amazing
0: The way you're talking, it's almost like you're implying that Dumbledore planted the book. (laughs) But maybe that's not what you're actually saying. (laughs) Well, not only
1: that, but go back to the beginning of the chapter when McGonagall is suggesting that Harry take potions now that uh, Slughorn is the professor. I mean, Mm -hmm. Harry was never even going to be considering uh, taking potions at all. So... That's another bit of luck that comes into play. And I wonder how much did Dumbledore kind of figure that into a day. His plan is just like so many things need to fall into place for it to go right. It,
0: it's amazing. But that's what he does all day. He's not trying to look out for the school. He's not caring about care of magical creatures, how it's taught. He's... <laughs> He's putting together this master plan. I'm, I'm glad you mm-hmm. found the hill that you're going to die on, Andrew. <laughs> that care of magical creatures thing. <laughs> he doesn't care that the stairways are moving and that it's unsafe for students. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't care that there's these vanishing cabinets
2: that can get Death Eaters into the school. But, Micah, you're right. I mean, McGonagall even has that line, well, you can probably borrow a school copy or an extra copy of the book. Like, she yeah. not only put she not only puts Harry in the room, she tells him to go to the cupboard and grab the book. Mm-hmm. Like... It's, but, it, but it's not – I think it's confusing because it's not anybody's plan that he actually get this book, right? It's not Dumbledore's. It's not McGonagall's. No,
1: not that we yeah. know of.
2: And and even even if Dumbledore had this plan, it's a 50-50 shot. It could have been Ron that got this book. Like up until right. the very last second when Slughorn hands Harry the book that he hands him, the two copies there – and it's not like it is in the movie where one of them's really, really old. And so they both fight for it, which I, I thought that was kind of a cool, clever – character moment injected into that but it's right. just a straight 50 50 shot it right. could have been ron that got
1: because ron always gets the
2: hand-me-downs yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. It, it also is pretty funny it's not it shouldn't be lost on us the fact that harry is doing great in potions now that snape is out of it but thanks to snape's book like mm-hmm. it's pretty hilarious
1: yeah it, yeah it's
2: it's definitely
1: um a, a bit ironic Mm -hmm.
2: You know what blows my mind, though? Harry got it exceeds expectations, even with Snape as a teacher. Like, that's kind of impressive, right?
0: Yeah, I would say so.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's still a good student at the end of the day. I mean, even even in Snape's class, presumably Snape himself would have given Harry that grade. Or was it outstanding? Not no. Um, it's whatever. It was one lower than he would have needed to get into Snape's new, new class, but he still does pretty well in potions to begin with. And so that's the kind of thing that surprised me about reading this chapter is that when he's going through the potions instructions list, JK Rowling doesn't really write him with an innate sense of what he's doing. It's not like the words that come to him sound particularly inspired given his existing knowledge of potions. She still kind of treats it as though Harry's never taken a potions lesson before. Um, when he follows them. But he did pretty well in The Owl.
1: But what does it say, though, then, about Draco and the others that are in this class, right? Isn't it, there's four Slytherins and four yeah. Ra- uh, Ravenclaws, and then it's Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Ernie McMillan er, yeah. from Hufflepuff. So uh, I think we probably don't take into consideration how good of a student Draco may be. Right. Yeah. And I mean... Um, uh, a couple of other things that happen uh, really quickly uh, during this class. Uh, Hermione gets some props from Slughorn, and uh, it's when he's going through and looking for a student to identify all the different potions that are at the front of the room. And uh, I thought it's kind of comical now that it seems that Gryffindor is going to end up getting more points in potions than they likely will during Defense Against the Dark Arts. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah kind of through that during the discussion about uh hermione being muggle-born and slughorn quoting harry uh it's also mentioned how good lily was at potions so i I don't know if that was supposed to be a misdirect by jk rowling to make us think that well maybe harry's using
0: his mother's book oh but wouldn't that be the half-blood princess
2: how many girls are princes
1: well, Prince is also a misdirect. Yes. We we learn that at the end of the the book. It's true.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because it's a last name as opposed to royalty. Um, yeah, anything royal, yeah. Mm. Harry ends up earning himself a vial of Felix Felicis and hey. uh he's uh quite proud of himself up until uh what do they have lunch a couple uh Couple minutes after this, and uh, he gets chastised a bit by Ginny for using a book with mysterious writing all over it. Haven't we been down this road before?
0: I found that I thought that was unfair. Like, kind of a cool callback for readers, in my opinion. But I thought I thought Ginny was coming down on him hard for that because it's a very different situation. This book isn't alive like the diary was. Mm-hmm. These notes were handwritten in there, clearly a long time ago, and Harry happened upon it by chance, whereas Ginny, it was given to her. And now Ginny didn't know that at the time, but I don't know. I thought that was a little unfair of a comparison for Ginny to make.
2: From a story perspective, it's important that we have this extreme negative sort of approach to the book, because Harry's like just really excited about it. Um, Ginny's really triggered. By still the memory of the diary, that much is clear. We have to, like, respect that. I agree the circumstances are different, though. So it does feel kind of out of place, a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't sound
0: like anybody agrees with Jenny. Yeah. I I just think it was a way for J.K.
1: Rowling to connect the two books together Uh huh. with Chamber of Secrets and Half-Blood Prince. Now you have another book that is sort of Mysterious, questionable, yeah, yeah, and, questionable. And Hermione does try and uh, make sure that it's not some dark wizards, you know, doing. But I, I agree with you. It, it, it's the attempt by her is almost questionable in my mind because, as you pointed out, Harry comes across it randomly. It's it's not like it's kind of tucked under his pillow up in the dormitory, <laughs> right? Or right. like slipped into his backpack. It's right. in a classroom in a class that he wasn't even going to take at the beginning of the uh, semester, so it's just chance. But
0: nobody good. wanted him to hand to to have it, and to me, it read like Jenny just being like, "Hey, hey, remember I exist?" Hey, <clears throat> definitely. But also, speaking of connecting threads, um, I also found it interesting that Slughorn is talking about infatuation and obsessive love in Snape's old classroom.
2: Yep. Yep.
0: <laughs> the guy who's obsessed with Lily. I mean, that guy, that 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 room, if those walls could talk, <laughs> they might talk about Snape's obsessive love with Lily. I found that very interesting, and I wonder if that was intentional on J.K. Rowling's part or just a coincidence. I could I could argue both ways. Yeah,
2: here's well, here's the quote because it's it's particularly brilliant. Amortentia doesn't really create love, of course. It is impossible to manufacture or imitate love. No, this will simply cause a powerful infatuation or obsession. It is probably the most dangerous and powerful potion in this room. Oh, yes, when you have seen as much of life as I have, you will not underestimate the power of obsessive love. hmm
1: Crazy. So I think that wraps up uh, Chapter 9 of Half-Blood Prince, uh... It concludes with Harry uh, seeing the name on, I think it's the back cover of the book when it falls to the floor, yeah. and it reveals that it's the property of the Half-Blood Prince, and we now have the uh, the title of the
0: book in play. And, uh, yeah, Who
1: knows what's going to happen now?
0: Yeah. Well, we do have MVP of the week and rename the chapter, and this week we are going to... Ask our patrons to contribute. We haven't done that yet, so we're going to do that. But first... The show... (laughs) This week's episode of MuggleCast is also brought
1: to you by Bombas. Uh, Bombas has totally re-engineered socks with comfort innovations that add up to one way more comfortable pair of socks. Two years of research and development led to multiple improvements of the sock design, performance, and comfort, including... An arch support system that provides extra support where you need it most, and feels like a hug around your foot. A cushioned footbed, stay up technology, and super soft cotton. They honestly feel like your feet just got a massage. And what I really like about Bombas is, I personally have a bunch of pairs that I got for work. They're soft. They're comfortable. They don't rip after several uses, and you just go to work each and every day feeling super comfortable. And not only that, though, uh, there's so many different options that are available. Like I said, I personally decided to get a bunch of pairs uh, to wear uh, to the office, but I know that Andrew... You've used them for just recreational use.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're, they, they are very comfortable, like you said. And finally, I have some nice quality socks. Like, I didn't know what di- what a difference having good quality socks could make. And now I actually, like, feel comfortable <laughs> all day. And now in the colder months, like I'm wearing them right now, I feel so cozy with them. So they are super comfortable, and I do highly recommend them.
1: Right. And as we've discussed before, the part that I really like is that Bombas, for every pair purchased, one is donated. And the reason why they do this is because socks are the number one most requested item in homeless shelters, uh, but you can't donate used socks. So that's why Bombas donates one brand new pair of socks for every pair they sell. And to date, they've uh, donated close to 10 million pairs. Uh, So that's super impressive. And when you go out and you buy a pair of Bombas, uh, you're not only getting Comfort on your feet, you're providing comfort uh, to someone else who really, really needs it.
0: Yeah, that's great.
1: MuggleCast listeners get 20% off their first order. All you have to do is go to bombas.com slash mugglecast. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com, and you'll get 20% off your first order. Just use code MuggleCast.
0: All right. Thank you, Bombas. So, like I said, our patrons are participating in Rename the Chapter and MVP of the Week, We'll start with theirs first. Morgan said, Half-Blood Prince Chapter 9, Harry reads a book. (laughs) Okay, this one's really long. I'm going to try to do it in one breath. This is from Michael. He says, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince Chapter 9, that time Harry beat Hermione at potions and she never forgave him, so she didn't believe his theories the rest of the book and Dumbledore ended up dead.
2: (laughs) Damn. Really does a good job of conveying the stakes that are at stake.
0: Yeah. Irvin says, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince Chapter 9. Harry gets lucky. Andrea says, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince Chapter 9. Awkward Hagrid waves. <laughs> That's probably my favorite. Uh, oh, this one's good. This is from Erica. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince Chapter 9. Hermione almost reveals she's attracted to Ron. <laughs> And then as for MVPs, Andrea says says Minerva McGonagall for giving Neville an out when he didn't do well enough on Owls to get in Transfiguration and standing up for him against his grandmother. Hmm. Michael says Harry for taking a risk. Irvin says Ginny for learning from her past and calling Harry out about the dangers of books. (laughs) Though, as we said in this discussion, eh, maybe not justified, but Irvin, you're a smart guy, so I'll give that one to you. Gabriella says, MVP, are Harry for taking risks, following his instincts, and not giving up on his Malfoy theory. He does deserve credit for that. Not yeah. giving up on that. <laughs> he <laughs> could throw his arms up and focus on other things. But no, he doesn't. And finally, Erica says, MVP, McGonagall for having her students' best interests at heart. So I agree. Um, that is my MVP as well, McGonagall. But from just making Neville happy. Poor guy. He never gets any credit. Now there's McGonagall, really doing him a solid.
1: I uh, agree with Irvin. I gave my MVP of the week to Ginny. Jenny. I thought it was just important to have that reminder there about not uh, trusting things you just randomly come across, especially in the Wizarding World.
0: hmm
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I gave my MVP to the half Prince. Whoever this person is, uh, they seem to be really good at potions. Hmm. I like this person, whoever it is. <laughs> <laughs> They're so benevolent.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and then rename the chapter.
1: I went with Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince, Chapter Nine: Potions for Dummies.
2: Oh, nice. Uh, I kept mine pretty eponymous. Uh, <laughs> Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince, Chapter Nine. Chapter Nine. Oh, interesting.
0: I was kind of gonna do something similar. Harry Potter. Yeah, Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince, Chapter Nine. C-book title. Oh.
2: <laughs> nice. Time for this week's quizage. Last week's question was, what is the subject of Snape's first Defense Against the Dark Arts class? The correct answer was nonverbal spells. And the correct answers, we actually had a lot of uh, winners this week, which is good. It's what I like to see. Can't stand it when I only have to read one or two names off of it. Uh, Sarah, a.k.a. Weensy, Steph, Emmy, Sean, Ryan, Allie, Paul, Lizzie, Ranvi, Jason, and Erica Targaryen are all winners. Congratulations. Um, To enter, be sure to uh, hashtag Quizzitch when you at Reply MuggleCast with your answers each week. It's very important you use the hashtag Quizich because it's increasingly difficult for me to search the actual correct answers and get everybody that way. But next week's question is what is the topic uh, or title of Hermione's essay? And that's relating to Chapter 10, The House of Gaunt.
0: If you are a new listener of the show, check out MuggleCast.com. You can follow us on Twitter from there. You can like us on Facebook. Both ways, you'll get updates about the show. You can also access our chapter-by-chapter archive, our advertiser deals page, where you can get the discounts on all the advertisers we, we talk about on this show. You can also support us on Patreon from there. Or you can just go to patreon.com slash MuggleCast. And in today's bonus MuggleCast, we're going to be talking about this new interview with Johnny Depp. It's actually his first one. Yeah. Talking about Fantastic Beasts. So that's pretty big deal. Headline says, Johnny Depp finally breaks
2: his silence.
0: <laughs> it's always so dramatic when an outlet uses breaks their silence. Yeah. I don't think he was being silent on purpose <laughs> in this case. <laughs> no, probably not. he just doesn't give many interviews, but he did in the build up to Crimes of Grindelwald. So we're gonna talk about that because he did share lots of interesting information. That'll be available exclusively at patreon.com slash mugglecast. And finally, if you have any feedback today about today's episode, feel free to email it to mugglecast at gmail.com. Call us 19203 Muggle. Just remember keep your voicemail as short as possible and make sure we can hear you clearly. Or if you go to MuggleCast.com, there is a contact form right there.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, Eric, you mentioned the House of Gaunt, but I think one thing we left out in the chapter discussion that is important is that Harry will now be starting his lessons with Dumbledore. Oh, uh, uh,
0: yeah. Saturday will... night with Dumbledore, time to party. That's right. So. Sounds like a good Saturday night to me.
1: <laughs> For sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Alright, so yeah, next next week we will talk about that chapter, barring any big gigantic news that we have to talk about. Thanks everybody for listening. I'm Andrew. And Eric. And I'm Micah. See you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.